to the sixth episode of Cult Following, the podcast brought to you from the fellows who brought you the people under the stairs and Cult Classics AZ every third Saturday, usually at Pollock Tempe Cinemas in Tempe, Arizona. I'm one of your three hosts for this week. I'm Victor Marino, and we also have Kirby Nelson. Yes. And Adam Rukowski. Hello. And we're going to spend the next hour or so talking about, you know, vital issues and stuff, as they would say in Clueless, in the film world today. So, uh, what has everybody been up to this week? We've had, you know, a lot of, you know, out and abouts and outings and movie excursions the past uh, couple of weeks among the three of us. What have you been up to lately, Kirby? Um, well, just busy with a lot of different things here, but in my cinematic voyages, uh, I have, I continue to try to use the dollar theater catch up on flicks on the mainstream. That's a smart strategy. It's worked out pretty well because a lot of them I would not pay full price for. Uh, most recently, I'm even trying to remember what I saw. It is, <laughs> it, that's the thing. They're so forgettable. I'm glad I only paid a dollar fifty. Oh, I saw the woman in black too. Angel of Wait, death. this actually got a theatrical? I thought it, it was straight did, to yes. video. No, no, no. For no, those dude. who don't know, the uh, the the original woman in black came out a few years ago was one of uh, Harry Potter's first post-Harry Potter film roles. Yeah, Daniel Radcliffe. Yes, and was it was there, one of the was first... penis? And one of the first Hammer films in no, that, 30 not years. Not quite. The, no. the Equus was, was only a play. You know, I'm sure there's plenty of... Uh, well, he was getting a little bit excited about kind of showing his goods. Yeah. He does show some skin and horns. I don't remember seeing any penis. What kind of horn? Uh, ha ha. So tell us about the woman in black too. Um, you know, it works to a point. It, it's not bad. I mean, I remember the 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 uh, the uh, first film being pretty forgettable. You know, the the, the best part about them. I mean, they weren't. It wasn't bad. It wasn't good. The set pieces were incredible for that turn of the century. This is a uh, a. Uh, world war ii themed era so it does it seem like a movie that was going to get a big theatrical release and then i think so "Uh." i mean the best part of these films has been that it's it's the rebirth of hammer um you know and it's not the original hammer obviously it's it's not that kind of you know people are hoping for that classic lee cushing kind of stuff but they are more restrained um you know they are more of that classic gothic um style so i mean people who are looking for horror films in the original fashion i mean i i recommend them uh, but of course you know the problem is now everything is so infected with all the jump scares and this is definitely no yeah. no exception so you know, it, it, it's worth, you know, a watch on VOD or Redbox or something. Like, I wouldn't highly recommend it at all, but I there's a couple things I did like in it. Um, I, I have a problem with advocating that I'm into both uh, movies with killer kids and killing kids, so I have a little bit of an I, issue. I, like, I used trying to really to- like movies with killer kids back when they were, like, effective, like, Village of the Damned, or you know, the Omen. Pet Cemetery. Yes, Pet Cemetery, oh. which is probably the last good one. I mean, but I kind of feel in the last, you know, post, uh, you know, Miko Hughes days, there aren't any good killer. Well, kids. there's, I mean, there's the there was an obnoxious stuff. one that was like in like X Men Three: The Last Stand, and um, that one terrible Nicole Kidman one, Birth. 
where uh, he he was like pretended to be like her husband that'd be reincarnated, and they had an appropriate bathtub scene. <laughs> he played like a creepy kid for about ten years. I don't remember his name. Someone on Facebook will tell me. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, that one I'm probably missing. But it it's one of those things where I mean, you know, I, I like the stuff. I mean, obviously. Some of the tiles mentioned the children of the corn kind of thing, but also like some classics like the Spanish um, who can kill a child and all that. I mean, things like that. I like a lot of the really darker ideas. And there's a couple in, in the women in black, too, that that's the only thing I can say that makes it really stand out besides the set pieces. But on the flip side, I got to see an incredible independent film, which I wanted to watch for a long time, which is uh, uh, Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Oh, I'd heard a lot of good things about and that. It's an Iranian vampire yeah, movie. An Iranian vampire western. Wow. Uh, modern set, of course, but I, all I can say, I mean, people would ask me, uh, definitely if you're in the know, you know, how would, what would you compare it to? And I said, if you, if you love Abel Ferreira's The Addiction or George A. Romero's Martin, you are absolutely going to adore this, this film. Mm -hmm. It is completely in the vein of both those titles um black and white beautifully shot uh great acting um but just just worked for me like i i didn't quite know what to expect um and that's probably the best way to go into a film as always but um can't recommend that one enough no that's well, a good solid recommendation um i've seen a few movies this week too um Let's see. Uh, I I recently saw Joe Lynch's new movie Everly, which if you know Joe Lynch, he's on that TV show Holliston, or he was. I don't know if it's on anymore. And he uh, no, that's done. Yeah, and then yeah. he uh, directed uh, Knights of Badassdom, which I remember mm -hmm. being a movie I liked the idea of. But I like, think that's on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. it's caught that on Netflix a bit. Yeah, it was a movie I liked the idea of, but like the execution was like kind of lacking. Yeah, I kind of got a little bored. Yeah, and that I feel like that's the exact same problem that Everly has. Um, it Everly has a Salma Hayek in it, and um, it's one of those like it feels like a movie from the early nineties that didn't have a big enough budget and by what i mean about that it's like it's like when you see um pulp fiction or movie like that like it feels like a like a mashup of movies like pulp fiction sin city old boy like literally it's all those movies in a blender and you add a dash of kill bill like uh, salma hayek plays this um prostitute named everly who's been kept uh, like as a sex slave to a Yakuza guy and, uh, you know, a secluded hotel. And, uh, basically at the beginning of the movie, she escapes and then they put out a $60,000 bounty for her and she can't leave the building. And then she's just trying to get back to her daughter. And it literally borrows from so many movies. It's so much of old boy. They like, there's, when when there's a scene there where like they text the bounty to all the other hookers, you hear like a black hooker in the other rooms like you know talked on the pimp truffles like shit. That's all you had to say, you know. And the idea seems cool, but it, like it drags out, and they didn't really have a big budget, 
and there's like some actors you recognize like to me it reminds me a lot of sushi girl where like the whole movie kind of takes place in like two rooms Mm -hmm. and anything you don't see kind of has that washed out sin city shot on a green screen palette like i feel if it was like a little short film it would have been really good and salma hayek like really tries but then there's just like a lot of flourishy stuff like she can't shoot a gun at the beginning so they're almost killer but like 30 minutes later she's cleaning up like uh all these dead hookers in a massive death scene that had almost nothing to do with her in it and she picks up a sigh and starts twirling it like a ninja and then there's like some like uh, takashi Mike kind of stuff where there's like a you know character called the sadist and he has like these like uh ninja assistants who wear no masks you know like the no yeah like traditional japanese yeah and it seems like a cool idea from a takashi Miike movie and all this stuff like it just like does not gel together for me like if you want to see salma hayek playing a character that's probably 20 years younger than she really is and have some gratuitous ass nudity go for it (laughs) but pretty much it's like really boring and should have been like kind of well ass nudity and dead hookers I mean, that's a winning combination. Yeah, you would think so. And then... Um, I also, but how long is it? You said it's it's it, way it, over. It, it's like it, it's like an hour and a half, but it, like, feels way longer. Like, it drags. There's, like, a, like you could tell, like, Selma Hack, like, was really trying to, like... Like, she must have been a producer or something. But, like, there's a lot of scenes where she's, like, crying. You could tell, like, he just didn't know where to cut it. Or maybe, like, oh, I'm getting such a good performance. I'm just going to let this keep rolling. And it just drags the movie down yeah. the pacing is all off see and that was one of my issues when i was going to film school and even sometimes today if i'm if i'm working on like some video project or something well especially back in the day the i had a problem of like uh, I, I was so attached to everything and like the moment I'm, I'm such a fan of like kubrick yeah but you know he would do like a bazillion takes of just you know one little thing well every little thing within the whole film to get it perfect but i was of the mindset of you you put a camera in the room and you have everybody do their stuff you give them the premise of what they're going to do and what i want from the end result almost kind of like a stage play and kind of improv but then like when i'd watch when other people would watch my work like i could just see like how much they were like just like come on cut do something what's going on i have no idea and so when I when I watch other films where it's like the pacing is just terrible like that, I'm just like, oh, filler. Oh, yeah. No, it's like, I, oh, they're I, trying to get like right to the 88 minutes. And the sure tail sign of, of, of a movie that I'm not too sure about where it's going to go or how long it's going to be or the quality of it is if they have um, uh, uh, the credits at the beginning, if it's all just like, you know, a black screen with like font text on it and it's just telling you know da 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 and it just kill goes a little bit longer than yeah, you think yeah, it's like oh saying. they're trying to like make sure they yeah, get that extra out. like two minutes so it's like a feature feature length as opposed to like you know a short yeah and, and that's just one of the th- you know like i i feel it's worth a watch kind of but at the same time i can't recommend that movie and i saw hot tub time machine part two um as did i all right all right, so <laughs> I, I did not. Uh, I'm, okay, um, it is very much the epitome of a sequel. It didn't need to happen. Um, at the same time, like I, I don't feel like I hated it as much as a lot of reviews I read of it. Like it was just kind of like, huh? well, what, what drew you to see it? It there's just not a lot out right now. And, you know, we were like, oh, let's go see something fun. And, you know, uh, at the same time, I like, well, then why didn't you see Kingsman again? Well, I, you know, there's, 
at the same time, I'm trying to get some variety in. You know, oh, okay. But at the same time, I was like, I, I like the original hot tub time machine. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, well, even if it's a bad version of that, it can't, you know, be, you know, too bad. And there's just like a lot of, I don't know. It's an all right movie. I think Chevy Chase is in it for maybe 45 seconds. Right. And um, like they replaced John Cusack's character with Adam Scott and it's just kind of weird and doesn't really make sense and but you could tell that they wrote it that way because they knew they wouldn't get john cusack back. yeah which is funny because um you know the, the director of that movie um he's directed most john cusack he directed um high fidelity and mm-hmm. he directed Go- gross point blank like i would think you would o- he would only make that movie if john cusack was involved and maybe he was trying to branch out or maybe they just threw a lot of money at him but it very much feels like we need to do a movie to make this kind of a franchise. But by the end of it, you could kind of, especially during the credit sequence, you can kind of tell we're not making another one of these. Let's just blow every idea we have right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what but, made you want to go see it, Adam? Well, I'll, I'll get to that in a second because I'm, I'm going to kind of pry a little bit oh, more and in, into in Victor here. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many people are in the theater? I think. Because it was you and Ruby that went? Yeah. yeah. We, me and Ruby went. I think there were maybe, I don't know. I I like didn't. I saw dozen, at least dozen. four. She said there were maybe 10 to 15. Yeah. Was that on a weekend? Uh, no, it was during the weekday. We saw like day, on a Wednesday. Like afternoon? No, like at night. At night. Yeah. No, we, we well, my wife and I, we the birthday anniversary thing, and then we we drove through Austin. We went to uh, the Alamo Draft House. It was one of those things, same thing. There's like nothing out there. Yeah. We probably would have seen the Kingsman again. There was the Alamo Ritz, um, and we wanted to check that out because that was like the that's the original one. Right? Yeah, that's the one you see in all the movies. It's um, a very nice marquee. And we we were able to you know walk around and look at it, but not you know go upstairs. But it's Fifty Shades of Grey was the thing that they were doing. I was like, I don't want it. I really don't want to. Yeah, see, 50 see it was Shades kind of, of like we could have seen Fifty Shades of Grey or Hot Tub Time Machine, so we went for Hot Tub Time yeah. Machine. So then all the other, what the South Lamar location for Alamo, you know, we we're looking at what would we possibly want to see. And that's what we went to see on a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like first showing. There was one other guy in the theater with us. And when I was talking to my sister earlier today, she was asking me what I thought of the film. I said, you know, it's all right. It's just goofy, dumb, stupid. I mean, and kind of expected, you know, exactly what you'd expect from it. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And she said, well, you know, and she asked how many people were in the theater. And then I said, they're just like one other person. They're... So you didn't really get like the the audience, you know, kind of uh, what would you not sympathetic laughter, but it's it's kind of the infectious laughter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's of one a, of the. That's why I was asking how many. Yeah, people that's one there. of the things I was saying that the interview was really hurt by because you could tell there were a lot of like visual gags in the interview that were supposed to get like the audience laughing. Yeah, and that's probably why I didn't enjoy it as yeah. much as I probably could have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for the most part, the other reason I think we saw Hot Tub Time Machine is because it was playing in the uh, in Desi Reel or the theater that used to be Desi Reels over at Center Point. I'd never, I haven't seen a movie on the second floor. Oh, okay. Yep. Since you know we used to run shows over there, so it was kind mm-hmm. of like how, interesting. How is that for the local folks? I still haven't been since they reopened um, the AMC, right? Yeah, I mean it's funny. Like most of the theaters are in the same places. They look a little bit bigger. They took out like the the um the concession stand on the second floor and there's just like two unmanned soda machines there so like that kind of weirded me out but it makes the top lobby look way bigger yeah oh i bet yeah but other than that like all the theaters are in the same spots it was kind of weird like i was like oh wow that's where we showed <laughs> back to the future and here's the theater we used to clean yeah it's all weird the time. it's like a like a uh, uh, mix a plick 
type Superman. Yeah, exactly. Alternate universe yeah. cult classics. For so, those who don't know, we use cult classics. We started off showing all our movies where the AMC center point is now instead of Pollock. There you go. Inside <laughs> knowledge. So, I, you Good know, I, I, I would definitely say like the original Hot Tub Time Machine is a guilty pleasure for me. Would you say it's... I don't remember much of the first one. See, I, I enjoy the first, the first one. one. I remember it's, enjoying it. It's, to me, it's like half-baked or one of those movies where it's just fun to watch. Like, I want to see something dumb it, and cute or whatever. I always found it worked only because, because, I mean, definitely not a great film. Like, something I really, really enjoyed. But there's bits like the uh, Crispin Glover running gag in that. Yeah. For some reason, just kills me like every time I, I like, mean, it, and that's i don't know why it's not that clever or interesting it's just i he plays it so perfectly <laughs> like but there's there's lots of li- and there's small gags in there that work or things are re- historical references to that yeah time and there's that, not that, a lot of that in this because it's set in like an alternate future like they spend a while like actually outlining it and it doesn't really make yeah, sense. a lot of exposition and um I think one of the reasons I like the first one is because it's kind of like a back to the future, like, you know, oh, it's playing off of a, like a parroting the types of movies John Cusack used to be in versus Hot Tub Time Machine 2, which is pretty much like a Rob Corddry star vehicle and a little of him goes a long way in my opinion. Mm -hmm. True. Yeah. I was really disappointed that there were not more better off dead references in a, uh, (laughs) John Cusack. That was, I know, it was like, resort I was waiting for piece. it, and it didn't yeah, happen. Because if, if you've never seen Bear Off Dead, just go get it right now. Well, street, I have heard. Do you know the street value of this, this mountain? mountain? <laughs> that is probably Kurt, Curtis Armstrong's also, I mean, finest performance. He just kills it. But Everybody I've heard there's, like a, there's, a, there's a huge fallout between um, John Cusack and Savage Steve Holland. Yeah, oh, really? he just won't have anything to do with them anymore mm. for for whatever reason. I, I I'm not really sure. I think it might have had to do when they did one crazy summer was the last collaboration that they did. Yeah, and uh, something just went terribly south. Either he was just calling him a terrible filmmaker because one crazy summer just did they expected it to do better than it yeah, did. I do remember that getting a lot of hype when it came out and yeah. then it just kind of disappeared. Yeah, but that's nothing new. So and when, then. Uh, no, yeah. no, no, no! I, I want to hear what Adam's been up to. Oh, oh, oh! Yeah, well, like I said, we went to Austin. We went to uh, different places within the Southwest. Whatever the, the weather was terrible, we almost died probably a couple times. Nah, not really. It's just you drive slow, but then when you're driving through all these uh, storms, and you start seeing the trucks rolled on the side of the road as you're driving it's it's a little bit scary zero visibility uh very cold but we had a lot of fun regardless of that i just kept driving 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 we hit our little spots that we wanted to and came back around so we did see uh the hot tub time machine too um we didn't get to see like a lot of stuff because we were uh, as far as movies or any tv or that so we missed like a whole week worth of stuff and then the you days haven't mainlined house of cards season three yet like i, did. I have not uh <laughs> watched house of cards yeah I, mostly I it's like because that's like a political thing isn't it it is but it's also the same time it's just about like a man with a lot of ambition it's like very it, it yeah. it's a kevin space if you like kevin spacey you'll like i'm okay with kevin spacey mm-hmm. but once you say an ambition political mm-hmm. it just 
it, it draws you in. I don't know. You don't have to know a lot about politics. I couldn't get into the newsroom because kind of the same oh, thing. Yeah. Well, I could that's not different. get into I don't like, Homeland um, for kind of the same reasons. Uh, a house of Cards, I did start watching maybe the first 15 minutes, and maybe it's just I my brain was just like, I, we, I can't accept this. Mm. The original version is difficult if you're not. Oh, it's super British, and it's, super, shot, it's old. Super, super British yeah. and extremely. I, I haven't gotten hardcore into House of Cards, but I do enjoy it because I, I, political stuff when done well but i think the differences between um you know like a mainstream television show and and something like you know outside although it's interesting they said i haven't watched homeland yet that is one i have wanted to give a try but mm -hmm. i there's just so many shows i probably mentioned that a few times i'm behind parentally behind mm -hmm. so it's always it always is yeah, spoiler, that's spoiler to, yeah. season for so, me yeah, so so what did you end up seeing since didn't yeah. mean to throw it off oh well the, kind of the in and then the lead up into that is that we when we were in Albuquerque, one of the things that we wanted to do was go on the on a Breaking Bad uh, tour. Oh yeah, I've done that. And so we were going to look, you know, at locations and then drive around to the places. But um, as we were driving from, uh, I think it was Austin to out to uh, Roswell, or maybe it might have been from Roswell to Albuquerque because it's only a couple hours. Uh, I said, well, look up to see if there's any any tours like they actually take you like on a bus or something because we've mm -hmm. gone on the ghost tours. Um, if we're in, you know, San Diego or, or, or different cities, and those are always fun. Um, and, you know, they have, like, the little little bus, the touring bus. Yeah. This one that we went on was the, the Breaking Bad RV tours, uh, which Vince Gilligan has been talking about on podcasts and stuff. And uh, so, well, yeah, let's, let's go on that one. So they actually put you in an RV that is... Uh, exactly the way that the um the original rv was built mm -hmm. um that the some of the actors pulled their money together and decided to do this tours and part of that money goes to help um people who are looking for um drug he didn't say rehabilitation but the resources to help them get back on their feet like a halfway house kind of sort yeah. of but it's a, it's a little bit different they're you know they, they they're kind of reinvestigating like how it all um works or you know how the how the old traditional ways you know 80 percent of the people will go back on drugs so they're you know it's kind of like new techniques that they're working gotcha. on anyways so a lot of the the proceeds went toward that but it was amazing and i and i told ann after we were done i said it, it was so great to see the better call saul stuff which they just started introducing so we went to the nail salon and got the, yeah, sit in the chairs and stuff cool. um and we were the second people to do that on the tour so the the owners of the place were just like freaking out they're taking pictures of us as like you know being the tourist and then checking so that, the stuff it out. actually awesome. is a nail spa yeah oh wow it that's is cool. it's functioning it's working you know it's like yeah they, they said oh well, come on back and we'll you know we're i'm pretty much sure everyone's willing to participate now due to the uh because i know that i've seen a lot of albuquerque like chamber of commerce and mm -hmm. tourism board stuff oh I mean, yeah they like are i remember up like you would yeah i remember believe. the last time i went i went there i went to twisters which is uh yeah. The Los Hermanos. Yeah, yeah, their food is good. They don't sell fried chicken there. But um, they have the actual mural there. I think me and Ann took the exact same mm -hmm. picture with the hoodie there and everything. Yeah. So that was really cool. And I, I, I really want to just kind of give them a little bit of a plug. Because they just, they just did a fantastic job. And it's it's really like they're the, they're the best 
best guys out there. Do to, they have like a website and everything you can find them at? Yeah, so it's the um, Breaking Bad RV Tours okay. com or even on on Facebook. Uh, we had Frank Sandoval was our um, driver and host, and and he was he actually works he worked on the show. Oh, he's that's been cool. doing stuff with uh, Better Call Saul, and they he said you know maybe there might be something with the RV. That's why the RV looks the way that it does in case. They want to introduce it in somewhere in Saul as maybe like an Easter egg, you know, in the background or something like that. Happening. Or if it'd be like a feature thing, they just have to have one that's ready to go. Yeah. Um, so I don't believe it was one that was actually used on Breaking Bad, but it was one of the reserve ones mm-hmm. that was like to spec. Yeah. Basically. Um, so, yeah, that was like the big highlight um, other than going to the Alamo Draft House. Uh, then when we got home, we just, I mean, we just kind of crashed. We watched a couple things on um, Netflix that stood out. When you were talking earlier, uh, well, the the thing about like like action and, and timing and stuff, for the first time I watched Paycheck. Do you guys remember Paycheck? Oh, it has like the Ben, ben Affleck, Affleck John and Uma Woo Thurman. One. Yeah, the yeah, John yeah, Woo one. one. Yeah. And I have not watched a John Woo movie in, in quite a while. I, I couldn't even, even tell you. Mission Impossible 2, I think, was his last one. Right. Oh, no. Oh. I, I saw. Well, not. No, that you are right. It's one of his last movies. Yeah. I definitely remember the last one I saw was The Corrupter, right? Wasn't that his? Uh, I think that was his, uh, but maybe. I can't remember off the top of my He's head. He's a guy who didn't get a good shake with a U.S. film career. Hard no. Target like fucked him over hard because John Claude Literally. Van Damme like took over, took over that movie. I'll, I'll come back to that once you're done. <laughs> by the way, but just, it's he really knows how to shoot an action scene, oh, unlike yeah. anybody else. I mean, you always heard about it when the killer and hard boiled. You know, it's like oh, you just got to watch these films, and you did, and you're just like holy crap but you didn't i i guess i never really uh understood how well he ex- executes it how well he choreographs it you know with his team uh how, how he shoots it because in comparison to other action films that just are phoning it in or relying so much on cg th- the types of things that he does even though paycheck wasn't a great film um, and maybe some of this, the action sequences went on a little bit long. The way that they're filmed is gorgeous. Oh yeah, no, it, and you can follow every little thing and every and you know, and he actually sets stuff. It's a up. low budget movie that doesn't really feel like one because, right. yeah, I, I remember that. Um, if I remember right, um, he loses his memory and he kind of leaves himself clues in an envelope that he has to figure out. Well, yeah, because the he's he was uh, part of a, a a group where they would remove parts of his memory. Yeah, he, yeah, he was yeah, like a developer right. and engineer. Mm-hmm. So, like, imagine like if Steve Jobs hired a bunch of people and then just said, "We're just going to pay you the money, but we want we want you to have like no recollection of what you worked on." Yeah, and so th- then he gets involved with another thing that um, had to do with this big conspiracy, and yeah, um, he's trying to piece all piece it all like, back it's, together. It's one of those where they took one of those. Uh, it's the same guy who wrote a uh, Blade Runner and Total Recall. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's and, and it's and they tried to make it like an action movie, right? Yeah, right. Um, but did that you goes back to what that with the island, something like that. No, I did not. <laughs> I will tell you what I double featured it with right okay. at, right after paycheck. But that that was going back to what you were saying with with Selma Hayek because what rang true with me is he said, oh, all of a sudden she's like this master of the sigh and like yeah, doing yeah, whatever, yeah. whatever. The nice thing about paycheck is he has he has a, a staff. 
Yeah. But they, they set that up in the beginning. It's part of uh, of him, like, repairing his brain when they take out the certain bits. Yeah. He he does some, you know, the, I don't know, Taekwondo or whatever the, the practice is, the discipline. Um, that sets it up for later in the film as opposed to making him just look like, oh, well, yeah, they erase his memory, but all of a sudden he's like a ninja master. Exactly. You know? That always bugs me. <laughs> there has to be some some sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, a little, like, leads nod, up to that. Right. Um, then the thing that I was i was actually quite surprised by and 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 liked because it's really hard to tell just in in like a little paragraph of of whatever um is something called the scribbler i have not heard of this movie Uh, not at all the scribbler is new on netflix came out last year uh michelle trachtenberg is in it in a small role oh um the guy from i can't remember what the tv show is i've seen him in a few other things um there is uh uh what's her face from uh showgirls jesse from not jesse Gina Gershon. Oh, Gina Gershon, Gershon is in it. Uh. Um, but in in a, in a nutshell, well, the, the guy that wrote it is um, somebody that I knew like years and years ago um, that we corresponded back and forth before oh, he, when he was still kind of writing different graphic novels. He's from the UK, Dan Schaefer. Um, and he did, um, oh, well, he did the Scribbler, which is a graphic novel. Well, um, uh, boy, I'm going to have to look so, it up. So, in a what's second, this movie about? Actually, I think I might have seen a trailer for it or something. The movie is about a girl who has multiple personalities. That's right. I have seen and a trailer for this. She gets a machine that. Slow, like each, like each takes, way that she does it, takes parts of her personality out. Takes, and gives takes them each like, personality because she has yeah. sixteen personalities, and every time she uses a machine, it takes one of the personalities out. And she's staying kind of like in a halfway house with all these other people who are like suicidal, and it's kind of this weird mix of like spiritual. Um, but like you know, dark, and you you don't really know if it's gonna uh, just be like a. Like a like sucker punch or something is kind yeah, of the closest yeah. thing that I could think of. I, yeah, I remember posting about this on Facebook when I saw the trailer like a year ago, yeah. maybe, and I wanted to see it. But so the I'm thing excited was, it's on Netflix. I know that Victor, yeah. you you like sucker punch. Yeah, I do like sucker punch. I I had issues with it, but I you know I kind of liked it. I don't the even. The director's cut is much better. Um, which is the one that I saw. Yeah, but uh, this is this kind of has the same feel to it but grimier and have you seen john carpenter's the ward is it like that at all <sighs> kind of but more supernatural okay i i recommend it uh and fell asleep on the couch while i was mm-hmm. watching it Maybe she didn't even I'll know i was playing it she woke up like after i said oh you have to see this movie mm-hmm. um it's it's really well done and and kind of the concepts kind of throw you for a loop where you think you know what's going to happen or why it's happening. Yeah. Um, just because of the state of her mind, but you know what is like the 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 real and what is not. Mm. It kind of messes with you a little bit. Okay. But yeah. it's cool. It was cool. Yeah, I've been because it's a little bit superhero-y too. Yeah. Which is weird. It's just kind of this, you know. But that's Dan. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to remember the other one that he did, but um, Doghouse. Does that ring a bell at all? The horror a movie? UK? Yeah, yeah, the one with the girl actually, zombies. Okay. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah, that's Dan. Yeah, I thought that was a pretty original idea. That was um, one where 
you know, if you like, I, I enjoy a lot of feminist horror as well, a lot. And although that's not distinctly what it was, I mean, I think it's its aim or its goal. It right. worked really well as I an just idea like different like original voices. Yeah, anymore. that's probably why I like the Saska Twins movies well, a lot. You know, and and then since you yeah, mentioned the though. feminist horror, is that it kind of reminds me a little bit like Lucky McKee, oh, the way that he okay. deals with like female characters and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, like, wait, 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 wait. Is it more like? may lucky mckee or like the, the woman. woman yeah um that, that was no i would say it's I, th I think it's more like may okay then that than it uh, is like the woman all right good that's more but like he my just speed. i mean lucky because of woman you were dealing with like jack ketchum and stuff like that so yeah I mean, it's just the source material was different really but weird lucky mckee place. he wrote may was, yeah. so i mean that's where it's different. I, I still hope one day one of my favorite ones the ketchum mckee is i really hope one day I, I don't know if it'll ever if it exists if it ever will i would have loved to have seen his version of red because i do love red and i you know there was a disagreement they went different ways on it uh uh, McKee was the original director and someone else but that one worked for me i mean out of all of those that are especially the non um misty monday ones and right. some yeah. of the other ones that he's done but i love sick girl too it's one of my favorites yeah. i think that's one of the most unique um masters of horror episodes but yeah um, or misty monday is actually playing a character not a porn character <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we you know we were going through all these ones i did forget one quick one that i did want to mention because it was in our 2014 was i finally got to see the guest oh okay what did you think of it did you like it i really enjoyed it because it continually became it, it was not what i expected it was the um when it started i was like this is the most accelerated early 90s thriller i've ever seen <laughs> like um i totally thought this was gonna be straight up the crush the temp poison really? ivy which i have like a, a to because i i don't I, like I, I still i still think it to it just it feels does, like a canon like it does yeah. have that feeling i have a, a a love for those films to a point the very early stuff this stuff is really gritty uh, a lot of it direct to video and stuff but what it ends up becoming towards the end i mean without giving anything away because i like to go into movies without you know in this this world i really I, everyone wants to know everything uh, you know but it's like went in pretty blind and really enjoyed it the um the part with or the uh there's the echoes of a lot of 80s hallmarks i mean you can definitely see a ton of the terminator um i would say uh there's some shades of alien and uh great acting great uh great cinematography but probably uh, especially if you like electro pop stuff i mean definitely my favorite since drive in terms of sound oh yeah no they it, were definitely just, don't you can tell i mean and then the fact that the lead who looks a lot like he looks ryan, just like ryan gosling, gosling I tell you. <laughs> and and looks a lot yeah somewhere between him and bradley cooper but he does a, a fantastic job um it, it just worked. I, uh, you know, really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah I, I will say just, you know, to wrap wrap up kind of what uh, we were talking about with John Woo and how uh, Van Damme destroyed his career. Um, the last, the other movie I saw last week that I was really a big fan of and recommend very highly is um, Lost Soul, the documentary about uh, Richard Stanley's The Island of Dr. Moreau. 
It was made by uh, my friend David Gregory, who runs Severn Films, and it's, it's it starts off as being like a documentary about Richard Stanley, who you know directed Hardware, if you've ever seen that mm-hmm. movie, and Dust Devil, and how because those films did well, he you know he got to develop his dream project, which was the Island of Doctor Moreau, and had Marlon Brando attached, and how he met Val Kilmer, and how that kind of destroyed his directing career. And it's you know it, it feels like you know Jodorowsky's Dune, where he kind of starts off with his dream project but it's almost like then it just imagine if that movie but then they follow the lynch production and how you see how terrible it was Mm -hmm. once he left because they follow once john John frankenheimer takes over the movie oh yeah and they interview feruza balk and how she like tried to jump on an airplane to sydney and the studio was going to sue her if she left the production (laughs) and how like val kilmer would actively fuck with the movie or you know marlon brando was just like it doesn't matter what we do or how they tried to like fuck bob shea out of money like like john frankenheimer called him and he was like yeah we should just you know shut down production for eight months and or eight weeks and i have this great idea how dr moreau is really secretly a dolphin you know and it's just like really like enthralling you just get into it like oh my god this is what hollywood's like it's well, insane I, d- I didn't know that there was a documentary on it but i i did read something not too long ago that he still wants to make the movie well i think it's one of those kind of like jodorowsky situations where you know because of the documentary i guess he was able to connect with the old producer and make you know the last couple movies jodorowsky's but i guess because of this the rights to dr moreau i guess might fall into his lap and he might actually finally get to make the version he wanted to make yeah that'd be cool that'd be awesome yeah i, I love richard stanley the hardware dust devil mm-hmm. everything he's done is awesome and and i gotta give it up to david gray is an aw- an incredibly uh, awesome individual just one of the nicest people hardest working seven films definitely support them they consistently put out some of the best horror cult and exploitation stuff not just trying to be a shameless plug <laughs> but really I mean I've seen how much it's kind of a paired thing with that because put a lot into that label to um make it work but that's interesting i i didn't even heard of that one i must i'm not keeping up the way i should it, it just came out on vod this past friday i guess they just did two screenings at the cine family so you can go on like youtube or amazon it's only like six bucks to rent you get it for like two days and it's like i watched it like four times yeah you know well, it's really good and all you can say is hey val kilmer karma really caught up to you yeah pretty much and they, they point out a lot like because this was like when val kilmer like he was right off batman forever like richard stanley's like he was at the height of his powers surrounded by like japanese adoring fans you know <laughs> it's like wow now look where you are <laughs> waiting for the saint too oh my that, god that's about it yeah you know but it looks like we've all had a lot of you know really interesting uh experiences this week you know watching movies and you know in the theatrical arena like in you know lots of different places here you know vod and like you know the draft house i think that's a little bit of what we're going to talk about on our main topic this week is the theatrical experience you know we all love watching movies to me a big part of what makes movies happen is the whole communal aspect of like we were talking about you watch a movie with a crowd and it sort of comes to life and that's part of what draws some people in movies you know but other people it's a technical aspect being able to see it in 3d or 
you know, any form of new amazing way that, you know, it comes to life in, you know, in your eyes. I mean, in Las Vegas every year, there's a, you know, theater, uh, was it theater con or whatever it is where all the theater people go to show off in the latest way they're going to suck you in there. So we're going to talk about, you know, what would we like to see in the theatrical arena to, you know, draw us in and, you know, what, could we do as people to sort of be like hey i want to see this can you can you make that happen or you know or what will get us to see a movie oh we're giving away like million dollar ideas ah exactly to other people you know and it used to, at least for me I'll, I'll start off a little bit i mean i remember when i was when i was a kid and i saw like pulp fiction and there's a part where like you know uh vin uh vincent vegas talking to jules and he's like oh i just got back from europe and you know if you go to a movie theater in france you can drink a beer and like you know samuel jackson's character's like my god you can drink a beer in a movie theater mm-hmm. and that used to be you know and nowadays you know most places you can go to and like you know there's some kind of like oh look like if you go to the esplanade at amc they have a bar called the mcguffin you know movie themed little bar in there and you know if you go to the loft they have alcohol there too i mean is you know and to me is like is that enough to get people in the door like offering them drinks and stuff is that something you like when you go to a movie it's, it's never been a uh a, a criteria for me mostly because uh, i just want to keep drinking maybe i'm an alcoholic i don't know <laughs> but when you have like one drink you're just kind of like okay i had my little drinky poo and what now it's like then i get because i kind of get talky yeah and i want to have like conversation i want to hang out to me it's like it, it's kind of that instant thing it's like oh it's now it's party time yeah kind of thing and to a certain degree like I don't know if that's something I like in a theatrical experience. I remember years ago, I went to a screening of the room where, um, at Madcap, where like uh, the person was putting on the screening was like, "Oh, well, we should give beer out," and it got really belligerent really quickly. Like you know, because the room you heckle along with it, and like suddenly you had all these people who got super drunk and they were just right. like shouting, "Like, oh, take your top off, you fucking whore!" Well, see, and I remember yeah. when. When we went to see John Dies at the End. Yeah. And that was the first time that, that my wife and I had been to the loft. Mm. And, well, no, you were there, yeah, too. Yeah, it. yeah, that's oh, yeah. right. Yeah, Kirby, you were there, too. Um, that's when, I, that's when we, are, we were in our infancy friendship stage. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I only met you, like, one, one, time, one time before that. True. But, um, you know, you, yeah, you could buy, like, bottles of beer. And I remember walking out, or you were driving back, or I don't know when when I had the conversation with my wife, but I said, you know, it's just kind of weird to sell bottles of beer at a movie theater, because what are, what's everybody going to do? I mean, when you get up from, like, any movie, you see popcorn everywhere, you see, yeah. like, all the wrappers and whatever else. And I probably at least, like, maybe once or twice I heard, like, a beer bottle, like, roll, yeah. because that's all it, you know, that's, I mean, it's just, a, you know, an inclined you know concrete yeah. it's like how many times do you hear that i mean it's you know our our crowd wasn't rowdy or anything i don't oh, think I, it was saw, there for... I saw big trouble in little china at the loft once like a couple years before that and like when the movie was like literally you hear all these bottles just rolling maybe we did have that conversation yeah. on the drive back because i think i remember you telling me that i yeah i mean it's weird for me because i don't drink 
I, and I definitely don't care. I mean, most of my friends do. You know, everyone in my life pretty much does. And it's it's one of those things where, I mean, you know, it's fine. I mean, it's definitely a, a source of revenue for theaters. I mean, it is a way to get people in. So I'm all for it in that respect. You know, in terms of it's like it's hard because you want to start off on a positive note. But it's <laughs> funny when I was brainstorming, we started talking about this. I'm like, what's the thing I don't want? And it's like. It, it really is like there is it's kind of like Victor was talking about there's that organic experience of and communal of just having fun with people I mean especially at films that are you know that have that kind of spirit and you know are quotable and, and enjoyable in that respect like you, you all just really are just laughing together you know reliving nostalgia or whatever and then it just becomes like belligerent obnoxious assholes and you just you can't even stand anymore and, and what's becoming so prevalent at least that i've seen is now it's like movies that are not even remotely um in that vein are are becoming that like and i don't know if it's just because a lot of times of course it's with old films yeah it's also with people who think that this is the next um you know room or troll too well, but then it's just that riff tracks thing it's like first and foremost you're not funny mm-hmm. you're just not i'm sorry i hate to spoil your life aspirations to become a comedian <laughs> but it's just not i mean it's not even just not funny it's just annoying and it, it's, it's I, I reached remember. a point where it's like no no more especially i mean it's like i don't want to go see the thing john carpenter's the thing this is not a funny movie this is not a movie i mean the only thing i, I mean there's parts i can see people laughing at because it's it, it was funny in the beginning the whole you know, you, you know it, it's all i mean some of rob botine's creations it's just so incredible yeah i can see people going what the fuck or just right. dying from yeah. the reactions of yeah. people but i mean people are taking this to be like troll too and i'm like come on man let's let's give respect where respect's due i remember going to a screening of pieces which is not a funny movie and there's a this guy just showed up and started like heckling the movie like you know because he'd been guy who'd i'd seen at room screenings and stuff it got to a point where a guy in the front row like yelled out it's like hey buddy i just spent 16 bucks on this movie for a date for me and my wife can you shut the fuck up you that's know? what she got to do sometimes you know i've had to do that more than once yeah and that's you th- you know i mean I like the idea of like certain movies where that's set aside, like riff tracks, where everybody's sort of in. That's a community thing, mm-hmm. you know. They have yeah. a big following on, you know, for, in for mystery science. Oh yeah, and I wasn't thousand. trying to disrespect no, 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 no. that. It's I'm that, like but trying it's to set that aside. Yeah. There's also at the same time, um, you know, like uh, the Alamo Draft House. They have a lot of like signature programming where they set it aside, like Master Pancake, where like you know you go there and it's going to be heckled by professional comedians. Right and stuff like that I can get on board with um, and there's also every, but I think there's a lot of movies that come out they're always like oh this is the new so bad it's good movie like I, we went out to the loft to go see this movie called um, Fateful Findings by this uh, guy named Neil Breen and it's a like painful movie to fucking sit through it's really bad like it's about a guy who's like been visited by aliens and he's trying to hack computers and find cons- i'm making it sound better than it is it's super <laughs> low awesome. budget terrible like there's a part where he's just like throwing books at a laptop to break it and we saw it and there were like maybe like 15 people there and like you could tell people were trying to make it the room and mm-hmm. like no one was laughing because it was bad 
And I guess they've tried to do screenings of that out here and it's just like not catching on, you know, and that's the thing. Like, I feel like there's this need for people to have like, this is the next troll too, or this is the next room. And it's like, why can't you just be happy with those bad movies and enjoy them for what they are without trying to find the next shitty movie? What's well, weird? I mean, like to me, it's like I can't like I love pieces. It's one of my favorite Italian slasher films, definitely of like all time. It just kills me. I, I, I'm Italian produced American, you know, English voice film. But Linda D. George, I mean, come on, the uh, bastards line. I mean, there's parts that are unintentionally hilarious in that film because it, it's yeah, so ludicrous. Again, it's so, extra it's to so it. ludicrous that yeah. that film, yes, does have those parts. And I could see a, it. That's actually a great grindhouse releasing. They actually have the um, experience. I think it's at the, uh, is that the Vine or the, not the Vine, um, one of them. They have one of the LA theaters, New Beverly or somebody has one where it's a, the 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 audience track from the pieces it's on it's one of the uh you know audio oh audio that's from selection. the new beverly from yeah, right now so the new beverly yeah, yeah. and it, it, it's it's great but it's one of those things where like i said i, I don't want to get so overboard into that i'd rather really rather talk about the positives but i think yeah that, exactly that that's one of the things that people you can't deny that what both um you know uh repertory film companies modern film folks are doing is they're going there is so much stuff now there's netflix redbox hulu there is all this stuff how can we get people into theaters mm -hmm. that is not just the next big blockbuster yeah so, so then you have like these these high concept things and you know i'm gonna throw alamo in there because that's you know they've they've pretty much made like the template for the rest of the of the country and like people are actually starting to look at what they're doing they have a zero talking policy unless it's something of an event where it's a sing-along or or a riff along or whatever it is and they're serious about it i mean if you're if you're talking they'll kick you out yeah and if if someone calls in really angry saying hey you kicked me out just because i was talking in there they use those answering machine messages as their like call in waiting music mm -hmm. just because they think it's hilarious it's like yeah this is what will happen if you're just being obnoxious in the theater and then they we just don't want you in there uh they have baby day so baby day is on tuesday so you can bring in your little babies and they can cry all they want and you know and you, and everyone's all happy no one under six allowed otherwise no one under 18 without uh, somebody of age with them mm -hmm. um is that a way to maybe curb people who are talking too much? Because it was very hard for me when I was watching Hot Tub Time Machine 2, even though there was just, including myself, three people in the audience, not to, like, talk out loud. But I was so afraid while I was there that maybe that guy who was just, like, right behind us would, you know, complain or well, something. Well, I think that's the attitude. Out they're trying to foster i mean specifically like the draft house is super strict on i mean I, I a lot of people don't know this but they also have a very strict seating policy if you're not there when the movie starts you're not getting into the movie oh, okay. say you show up like you know once the you know so it's, it's almost like a like an opera or uh, yeah you know one of those things it's like an old you know. time i mean it's going back to the past is really what it is it's going back on time honor traditions and it's difficult because it's a more hectic life and a more complicated world but it's like those are still good principles to go back to sure. yeah I mean, so 
and to me i i like the idea like obviously like um you know i i, I went to the out the fantastic fest in 2010 at the draft houses in austin um that was like about a, a year before i started cold classics and they were like a big you know influence on what we do down in the fact that we have like the custom pre-shows and trailers and all that that are themed to what we do yeah you know and for the most part like i'm like a hundred percent on board with that like i like the idea of a no like heckling policy i mean we've thrown we've thrown people out for being assholes in our movies you know and for trying to you know sneak in and beat you know i like people who are respectful of movies i've met tim league i've actually had dinner with tim league he's a really cool guy his wife carrie is really awesome they really love what they do and what they bring to movies mm-hmm. you know and for the most part those are the people that makes me want to support them like the fact that they're passionate about the movies they do that they distribute movies that they love that they that uh, otherwise wouldn't get distribution i think is also awesome oh, yeah. you know and that's the kind of like i feel like there's a lot of other companies that have kind of tried to copy what the draft house does without having like an overall vision like studio movie grill which is basically draft house light with no guiding you know right vision well whatsoever. they have food yeah exactly and well, even the way draft house does food i feel is way more is way less invasive than a lot of other places that serve food like um uh, if you haven't been to a draft house theater like the seats like they have like a little like bar in front of you and then behind you it's like a lot of wide space so the runners can go in behind you and they're not like you know coming in and just like in your face right yeah well because a studio movie grill i mean that's those are a little bit smaller yeah um yeah but like ultra star is a lot bigger i mean mm-hmm. I, I that's actually one i think of is like I don't think it's been hugely successful. It has a few locations here in Arizona, but it's funny when you're talking about like studio movie grill, it's, it's uh, totally the proper term is invasive. Yeah. Like it's very much worse. Ultra star. It's not anywhere near as bad, but even the, the AMC Esplanade and stuff like that, like they're all, you know, well, you know, nice theaters, nice environment, you know, um, like the movie grill, see what I think it suffers from its biggest problem is, is that, their model is that they're trying to do a multi-purpose where they also have like literal like office chairs right so you can do meetings seminars and stuff like that and see i i I think you need to have like a dedicated theater for that and make Mm -hmm. every other one seats yeah whereas you know but i I mean i think that's a big part but ultra stars other thing is is that you know i was thinking about this because there's a lot of perspectives you can come from with this but it's like when you talk about like enhancing the experience and stuff, you know, there's you can literally say, well, the c- community and all these aspects. But it's interesting for me, like uh, a couple years back, my brother was visiting um, and we went to see uh, the second Hobbit film, the Desolation of Smog, in, um, in their 4D theater. So you have the D-Box so your seat shakes oh, at is that what bars. 4d is it's yeah. like star tours kind yeah. of yeah okay. well not that's, completely because not completely because the model i think the future of that is i mean true 4d is going to be the immersive experience where right. you're going to like almost, an oculus drift kind of thing yeah okay. that's exactly what i was gonna say actually because i always draw a lot of parallels between cinema and gaming because it's getting well, if hard you're to, getting divide to that, that line. point where you're basically sitting in a glorified gamer's chair mm-hmm. and you have a like a vr visor you could do that at home, couldn't you? You could, but I think it's it's going to get... Ex- I think another thing that it's almost going back to... Um, 
oh god his name is on the tip of my tongue did the fly the tingler um Oh, um, William Castle. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, William Castle. Castle. I was thinking I mean, Cronin. Yeah, he was <laughs> too, no, not quite. Uh, but William Castle's thing, you know, in the 50s and 60s was he was pioneering the shocker. a lot of gimmicks and yeah. stuff. But I said, but that's, I mean, it, it really is. It's like the rebirth of 3D. 3D, I mean, if you ask, I mean, you know, you ask certain demographics, I mean, definitely kids and you talk to many adults and stuff even uh, varying groups but i mean people are like that's what gets them in the theater and i mean is that is like the 3d they're like oh it's so amazing i'm like no see i like it not not but i don't agree it only works for certain films to me well right i mean but i think it's it i've noticed it kind of dry back there's not as many like 3d uh, showings. As well, I'll were. say that. Like in 2010, I went to the Sundance Film Festival, and one of the movies I saw was this, like it was an Australian documentary called Cane Toads, which are about these like frogs that were released in Australia that just like destroy the environment. They did a Simpsons mm-hmm. episode about it, but it was a real the thing that happened. And um, ba- the movie was in 3D, but they gave us these like r- like hard plastic like ion ionized 3d glasses which i've never i've gone to a lot of three 3d movies and i've never gone like glasses like this and we're gonna run a little long today folks that's fine um this is the best three to this day that i've ever seen in my entire life like literally it felt like the frog because they did a lot of cool little vignettes with the frogs jumping and like to illustrate what was going on like they felt like they was right in front of me completely tangible and real if you go to like to real 3d or something like especially like the last few years where they've done the 3d that's uh post it wasn't shot natively in 3d right. like avatar or something where again right. avatar avatar looked great yeah it, it was you know this is james cameron he he was going to make sure that was real av- right. you know and it, like avatar in 3d as much as i hate that movie is that's how it was meant to be seen right. it was, was a theatrical yeah, experience yeah. you know I've seen movies like post like Tron Legacy to me is like the 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 worst movie I've ever seen in 3D because it was so dark and dingy like I could not see anything. I kept yeah, taking Men, Men in Black Three was like that yeah, too. Like I had to keep taking my glasses off just to kind of tell what was going on because there's the big reveal. You know, I'm gonna spoil Tron <laughs> Legacy if you haven't seen it. That Rinsler is actually Tron, and they show that in a little sequence where they have a 3D like you know a, a 3D like Bruce Youngin Bruce Box Lightner, mm-hmm. you know, so he looks like Tron. I did not pick up on that because it was so dark. I couldn't see his face. <laughs> I was like, "Is that supposed to be Tron?" It didn't look like him, yeah. you know. Cause, you know, and at, at the end, my friends were like, "Oh, that 3D was so cool." I'm like, "Really? Like, it's so dark." And you know, it's weird. There's a lot of movies like um, Drive Angry 3D, which I like that movie, but that movie, all the 3D in it was like super cheesy, and that's why I like that movie unfortunately in the last few years i feel all the movies that have like because they do all the marvel movies are shot are done post 3d to try to get that extra ticket money Mm -hmm. like i saw thor 2 the dark world like that and it was like oh god why did i watch this in 3d it's just so dark and the 3d is just like oh look at the hammer oh look at these little things flying at you 
And that, to me, takes away from it. And I feel like the last few years, like their initial bump of 3D sales has gone down because a lot of people now don't think 3D is as special because of all the bad post-3D. Yeah, and you, I mean, you have to pay a premium to go see it, too. Exactly. You know, so, if I'm going to play that premium, I, I'm going to pay to see a movie in IMAX. That's what I was going to say is the IMAX and the IMAX 3D. I will definitely say seeing Guardians of the Galaxy in, in IMAX 3D was worth every penny. But, I mean, most films and Pacific Rim I saw the year oh, before. Gravity. Was, Gravity Gra- was yeah. really cool, too. Yeah, Gravity And that's was really the thing, too. IMAX. A lot of people, like, once people realize, like, movie exhibitors are like IMAX. So, there's a difference. There's movies that are IMAX digital, which, you know, just very clear picture. And they're, you usually see these at AMCs, where it's, like, a little bit of a bigger screen, like right. a Cine Capri. And they have really good sound. Um Versus a real IMAX, or if you're in Arizona, the only real IMAX theater is the Arizona Mills IMAX, where it's the five-story IMAX right. screen. Yeah, and I mean LA. When I grew up in LA, all the IMAX theaters were like real IMAX. Yeah, that's, that's how Minnesota was. Yeah. yeah. So like, I remember I went to see The Dark Knight in IMAX. I'm doing air quotes, and I'm like, what? the hell is this because it's not imax yes. right you know there was nothing like seeing the first film i ever saw in imax was independence day and let me tell you blow your <laughs> fucking balls off like not only visually but the sound was just amazing it was like the first time i ever heard dts yeah like when they did it for jurassic park it, it was the first film i believe it was unbelievable how loud it was like right. clear yeah. crisp but it's it's one of those things though with the, it, it's a good point though they are scaling back and all those types of things but i still and it is and i think it is because of the post i think people are getting smarter about it but what i I feel a lot of people too. It's like it's interesting that even though like um, you were talking about like all the different kinds of IMAX, IMAX is not the Interstellar was the last film print of uh, yeah, that seventy gonna, millimeter seventy IMAX. millimeter IMAX. So it, you know it's it's going away. I mean you know there are people preserving film as itself, which for me is a big thing. Uh, to keep, I I want to see films in thirty five millimeter, seventy millimeter, actual physical prints. I I don't know why it is. It's something for me. It doesn't make or break a movie because, like I said, it's part of the experience. But it, it is a big thing that I enjoy. And right now, the loft in Tucson is pretty much the only. It is the only, the only place one. Yeah, in I Tucson think where you can the see. only place in Arizona that I'm aware. Yeah, of. yeah, Ari- Arizona. That's what I meant. Yeah, Arizona. I mean, that is actually doing and getting to see them. I, I don't know why. For me, that's really important. I know it's not for everybody else, but I mean, that's something I I hold true to. But and that's something like if I if you were saying my number one wish list, but see, that's that's thinking in the past too i mean mm-hmm. yeah you can make a modern film and make it to print but see in modern films that's the only time where i'm a real big advocate of like cgi and and some other stuff because they go it looks amazing digitally when it's made to be like avatar is a film i absolutely abhor i think it's one of the worst movies ever made but getting to see it visually like in that kind of environment it it's totally worth it so yeah, yeah. and then it, it kind of what you were saying about like a film printed like then you have to think because the th- these movie places are are you know there's a business to make money just like any other business so then you got to think of the kids today who are like in their 20s do they really care about film well i mean i can speak to this just because i get this a lot because of you know cult classics i have people who message me it's like oh you're showing 
what was one that people asked me about specifically i think it was like blade runner or one of those movies when we right. showed it it's like oh why aren't you showing it on 35 millimeter i mean i can speak to a few things on this one where we were at pollock up until like you know i think mid 2000 no like yeah mid 2014 they did a switch to full digital um, the way that works is you get vouchers for digital prints because up to then, like if you got a DCP of a movie, which is a di- digital just digital cinema package, which is how most most movies are watched now, mm-hmm. which is a hard drive that plugs into one of these Christie digital projectors, and that's how you watch the movie. Um, part of that is like the MPAA and all these other groups would subsidize you getting these like projectors, which cost like on the low end fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. It, you know, you get vouchers for that. And like, oh, okay, part of that, the MPA or whoever the group was, I don't remember right at the moment, was you had to physically dismantle your 35 millimeter projectors and take a picture to show them that you don't have them anymore in order to get these vouchers. Huh. So, like, if you, yeah, I think they did that at Pollock. Most of the theaters I've seen there, you go in there and they have all these dismantled 35 millimeter projectors in their top. I mean, Kirby's seen it. I think you've yeah, seen no. it. It's true. You know, and for the most part, I mean, anybody's like oh well i can either support this you know dying uh 35 millimeter projection thing because most movies aren't made on 35 anymore um or or i can upgrade and get a you know uh money towards that by just taking it apart it's not making me money anyway Mm -hmm. versus something like the loft which is like a non-profit or the new beverly where you know it's owned by like a millionaire they're like oh i can afford to have both of these right you know um or tarantino like doing his yeah that's exactly what i'm talking about you know um the phoenix art museum does have a 35 millimeter platter system the problem with that is that doesn't help them because most people who have 35 millimeter films don't want them put on a platter and what a platter means is when you get a 35 millimeter movie it comes in several different reels a platter you just tape them all together and it spoons the whole movie out. Somebody who owns a print is afraid it's going to get damaged that way. So they're not going to want it projected that way. Usually the way they do it at uh, the new Beverly's, they have two projectors side by side and you load each reel into them. And then they use a cigarette burns method where, Oh, once this reel's over, you switch to the other reel and just load the right. reel into that one. By the way, cigarette burns is a really, really, really good masters of horror. Exactly. We should probably have a masters of horror. Like <laughs> mini podcast right, here. Yep. But no, I, I mean, I, it's true. Those things are all... Yeah. And then ultimately, I mean, just to finish on my point, oh, true. like, here's the other downside to 35 millimeter. It's very hard getting a pristine print. I have yeah. friends who work at other repertory houses where like, you know, one of them was like, when we were at Madcap, they're like, oh, if you show like Possession, uh, Sam Neill, Isabella, Johnny, Polish movie, we're doing a tour of that if you want to. And then it's like, well... I can put up money for that, but at the same time, it's going to be really expensive. Am I going to like make, recoup any money on that? Two, if you get a cheap print, you can buy them on eBay. You know, like because I was trying to get a print of like a Fulci zombie a few years ago. It was one of them for like two hundred dollars. Um, I talked to the guy, and it was on, I think on Kodak stock or something, and it had a. Uh, Kodak, you know, there's a few things that apply to 35 millimeter films. Kodak movies wash out over time, so the whole movie looks red. Mm. And I think you've seen this, Kirby. Yeah. And then there's 
other times, if you don't, re- you might get a print of the movie, and as soon as you open it up, it turns out the print has vinegar syndrome, which is what it is: is the the stock is rotting, and rotting film stock smells like vinegar. Yeah. So now you know where that comes from, guys. If you've heard that, <laughs> you know. So there's and there's just a lot of things that affect these movies. Like if it's been played a lot, it might have sprockets, so the film will rip sprockets. as it's playing. You know, which we screened like a print of Night of the Living Dead years ago where like literally the film ripped, I don't know, like 10 or 15 times in the first like oh, I was going to say the uh, speaking of those showings the Halloween hiss may be the yeah. most famous of, from those showings as well yeah it, it's a gamble yeah and that's what it is so uh, you could you could hype having a 35 millimeter screening and then suddenly you're in a situation where you're showing this movie and somebody's gonna be like oh why is the movie red why does the film keep breaking or worse the film gets stuck in the projector and then the film burns up yeah you know yeah, because I'm sure you'd have to get insurance yeah. on it. Too, oh yeah, um, my friend. I remember I uh, helped my friend Mike promote a screening of uh, Saturday Night Fever years ago, and he got an archival print from um, Paramount Pictures. Oh, wow! All right, so he put in the. It was loaded in platter style, and like halfway I, through I the movie, <laughs> the projector ate the movie. Oh. Like it was like a VCR where it got all wrapped in there, yeah. and he had to like pay for it. You know. No. Oh no, and and my my advocate, you know, advocating for thirty five millimeter. Like I said, I just said the downside. Yeah, obviously oh, no, the upside. No, film is much crisper looking than digital, no matter what. But it's very rare you're going to find a print like that. That's that, and that's the point. Is you got to be realistic though, and and really that's where you're going to get into an argument with a lot of cinephiles who are so unbelievably stagnant in their beliefs because it, it's a militancy that just it doesn't work in real life because there's so many mitigating factors and that's why i i I should have peppered that with a a thing but it's funny that you brought one of the ones i would love to see more of is something that the loft does and a lot of those theaters we talked have talked about in this podcast is i'd like to see more of a patronage system that like where people become a part of the theater and i you know not to get too like uhf ending no here, i mean the cine really, family in I, la does I really that you can think buy it works like yeah I, you can buy a black card it's like if it costs 500 dollars, and you can get into any movie you want the entire year on top and on top of getting into like secret screenings or sometimes they'll have like i think like doug benson did like a potluck barbecue and you could get into that for free like they do random stuff like that it's like oh you have your black card show up and you get preferred seating and all that and i'm totally in favor of all that if i yeah. lived in la i would have a black card no that'd be great as, as long as a place you know had like certain events like that and you knew that you were guaranteed to get in yeah and people yeah. have asked me to do that for like cult classics and like you know i would love to do something like that it's just kind of figuring out what we could do for yeah, them because we have a very i feel loyal community that would support something like that well and it's constantly growing yeah the the, uh, different ideas start coming out because you know back i mean i wasn't there the whole time i came in about like the around like battle royale yeah i think it was like like, we're like years ago and yeah um when it was still at madcap and that was all you had I believe at that time were just really the posters. Yeah, and then maybe the, the I don't even think you had T-shirts even up to that point. But no. you were kind of entertaining the idea of like I think you're asking me. You know, it's like oh, would you buy a T-shirt if I started making T-shirts or you know different ideas? Yeah, now we would do like yeah, and that's that like we would do little packages themed on the movie. Because with Battle Royale, like we had the little cookies that they had from the movie. Yeah, and you know, and that's the thing like. 
I, I like the idea of posters early on, and this is something that, like, you know, Mondo does with the Draft House where you get special posters for going. Because I like the idea of when you go to a concert, mm-hmm. you would get, like, a show like a show poster, and we made it affordable, like, $10. Like, obviously, we could sh- sell them for more. At conventions, we sell them for, like, you know, $20, $25, and people buy them, like, no problem. Mm-hmm. But I like the idea of, like, we make it cheap so you can, like, have this keepsake right away. Yeah. You know, and, like, that's our attitude. It's not like we don't. I guess that's how it differs from Mondo where it's like you're going for the poster and the movies, the bonus. It's more like you're going for the experience and this is a keepsake. And, you know, as time's going on, a lot more people are doing the poster thing. So I'm just laughing. Come for the poster. Stay for the movie. (laughs) It's pretty much the Mondo (laughs) That is true. I mean, I do purchase Mondo stuff. I've actually never been to a single of those showings. The only time I've ever been at a Mondo event, uh, two of them, I think, well, only one was the... 35 years of terror halloween fest and i waited in line for an hour and i never got i never got the print i did get the show only uh lp of the score (laughs) the deluxe score which was nice but i mean the the prints and stuff i mean the one for the la show i wish i could have gotten because that one's absolutely yeah because i can go a couple different ways like that i remember i went to a rolling road show mondo screening of like jackie brown and justin from mondo is there and like he had the posters for every single Rolling Roadshow screening with him, like hmm. every single one. And like, I could have bought all of them. Like I got a free postcard set for going. That was like, you know, they were giving them away like nothing. I remember a couple years ago, I sold that, I sold that postcard set for like $200 in like four seconds when I listed it on eBay. Yeah. That's Mondo right there. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, like all of those Ali Moss posters for that Rolling Road show, each of them is worth like at least a couple thousand dollars now or something, you know, because it's like, oh, it's a super limited edition. Thing. The Shepherd Fairy of yeah. Cinephiles. And then yeah. for the most part, I remember I went to a screening of Kill Bill, the complete version from the Cannes Film Festival. They mm-hmm. played at the new Beverly and they made a special poster for that. And I was at like the second screening of it and I couldn't buy a poster because, oh no, Mondo just set aside like a handful of these to sell at the first show. The rest are for the internet. And that pissed me off. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. But that's interesting. I mean, but you know, we're talking more on a micro level. I mean, do you think there's stuff where, or an independent level, what do you think about the more mainstream? I mean, there's there is because the mainstream is obviously adopting a lot of independent ideas and methods. Oh like, yeah, if you go to like most IMAX movies on like uh, their debut date, like you know uh, the very first screening, you'll get like an art print made specifically for that screening for free. Well, and and they had they had buttons for Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, so I mean, and, and that's the thing, like. A lot of times you have to examine, like, where is that coming from? Is that, are they trying to ape, like, the draft house? Are they trying to get people to collect these so that, like, they'll come back? Or is it just, like, they're hopping on a trend? To me, like, if you're implementing these things, like, if you're, like, consciously trying to implement digital in your theater, you have to ask yourself, is the community going to support that? If you're going to do posters or t-shirts, you have to ask I think yourself. they're just dipping their toe in. Yeah. Because yeah, but- it, not unless they're, like, going, like, all for it. Yeah. And they're going to have like, you know, several different items or they're going to have like a Q&A or they're going to have, you know, something like even more. 
than just like, oh, we're just going to give you a print or something. Yeah. But it's like mainstream. So, I mean, we're talking like, you know, the, the bigger, like larger the chains. corporate, the yeah. chains. Yeah. And it's a little bit harder for them to be consistent with that and original with that. Yeah. Because yeah. it's such a large entity. Not now, unless there was like a big, big, big like There's request for be a it. big support from the right, studio. Support. Yeah. I, I, a few years ago, I remember... Um, I got asked by uh, this marketing company that works for Harkins to do uh, prints for a early screening of like um, the Dark Knight Rises, mm-hmm. and then they gave us they gave me ex- you know free passes and everything, and I was compensated for doing them. I only did like twenty of them, and it was basically most of them ended up with like the sponsors of the end, which I think it was like KUPD and some local like comic shops and mm-hmm. some VIPs. I think they gave away like two to the and, big red radio. Yeah, and so it was like at that point I was like, well, why did you ask me to do this in the first place? Because it's kind of like you know you could have done a lot of them, or if they're just mainly because I saw like the KUPD people just grab up most of them before they gave them oh, away. Oh sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so it was sort of like. I don't understand. This is a Victor Marino original. <laughs> well, I, basically, I'm looking at it as like, oh, okay, this was a print for this thing. We need to grab that because it's our, you know, treat. This is our tweet. It's our swag bag. Yeah, exactly. You know, and you know, there's other places I guess that are trying to get into doing these prints too. And then like, oh, what are you going to charge for them? And it's like, oh, we don't know because you know we don't. Yeah, they're trying to figure out how much money they yeah, can make. Yeah, off they're of it. they're yeah they're dipping their toe. Yeah. They're not. They're not going to get like a whole marketing team to like try and figure that out. If something's already working, obviously they're doing like the lounger seats, the recliners. Yeah. Now that's the center point. Did that uh, the Cinemark that's just down on two hundred two and 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 Dobson is like they took out all the seats and they put in all recliners. Yeah. That's a huge investment. Oh yeah, no, it totally for them to but do it that. has to be. They that. lost they lost a number of seats cuz I kind of asked them I said, "Well, you know, why did you do this?" Is it well, we lost seats. Oh yeah. But the thing so is is Pollock. that this is like, you know, the demand that people that's what they this is what they want right now. Yeah, Pollock got those uh those nicer kind of like ultra starry, you know, ones. Yeah. And like they lost 100 seats to put that in there it went right. from 400 to 300. Yeah, but they're so much better. Oh yeah. yeah. Exactly. That's, that's where the best point you know, is. I mean, but that was like one of the early concerns we had with that, at least on our end, where it was like, well, does, that's going to cut into how many tickets we can sell. And obviously, it has, we could have raised our prices, you know, but I think obviously the better experience is offsets anything else. In yeah. Cause opinion. I don't think that the, you know, the big investment that happened before, like you said, and then they got, they got some money back for it, some incentives to do it, but to go all digital projection, you know, yeah. anytime I ever saw an ad for that, I was like, I don't, I don't care really. You yeah. know, but it's interesting way. too, like with like Pollock specifically, I mean, one thing he's done, you know extremely well is is that i mean to you know the lore of that theater is like the whole pop uh pop culture museum and gallery and that he has a yeah, huge cool. selection of like arcade yeah. games and stuff like that yeah, absolutely. i mean well, that's, I think, a, big, I think that's, that's a big thing like to me like if you especially if you're gonna go to you know what traditionally like a second run theaters are usually like you know not particularly nice places right. and so that's a you know big upgrade well i think that's part of the reason i think cult classics and 
Pollock are an ideal fit because we think we kind of like celebrate that past too. Mm -hmm. So it kind of plays like uh, that nostalgia thing, which is another, even that's a trend now. Or if you go to AMC or Cinemark, you know, I'm not going to take, I mean, like obviously a lot of places have been doing this too, like, you know, Draft House and everything, showing the older films and making it kind of like, you know, premium experience. But like lately, especially like, I don't know. I feel like Harkins like got onto that train like uh, maybe a couple years after we did where it seemed a little suspect like the timing. Yeah, and, and they do like the $5 movies. Yeah. Where, and then it's just, you know, it's just a film. It's like, "Oh, do you want to see Back to the Future? We're showing it on Wednesday." At yeah, 8 we o'clock. went. Yeah, we all went to go see Halloween. Yeah, I was just going to say, and "Why don't you convey that?" Experience? Well, no, I mean, the whole thing with Halloween, I mean, it was a packed show in October, and I mean, I was excited. I mean, Halloween is one, you know, I watch every year. It is the definitive film of the season for so many reasons and stuff and i don't mind i mean again on that of course i'd love to see a print of it pristine prints that are hard to find but to see a nice digital print with people and enjoy it and first yeah you can't control the audience but that probably was not a good chunk of that was not the right audience for the film but the um the aficionados and those that really wanted to enjoy it were there and they didn't get that experience because let's say they flicked basically there was nothing i mean no trailers no anything i mean flipped it right on (laughs) where you you can see clearly it's a blue and then they had um what was the other are they i definitely remember menu for uh, the menu i told you a file name and yeah file names they cut but the the most egregious offense was that they just completely cut the film. There no credits or anything, as I recall. One of them, mm-hmm. uh, it was the end. It credits, just started, not, yeah. yeah, and just started, and it just didn't. It didn't start at the beginning properly. It was just one of those things where I mean, the volume wasn't right. Everything wasn't was not correct the way it should be. But the experience yeah, and, and like stuff they could have made like it better. Technical issues, but literally this was like they didn't care. Oh, oh and they really thing. didn't. I mean, the only thing they did right, I mean, you know, a lot of them are lower priced. It was like a $5 evening show or something. And so, you know, it's going to lure people in. It's a good idea. But I mean, they could have ramped it up with some more, um, you know, seasonal kind of, you know, celebration well, aspects, and, and, and that's, they just did I not. think part of the difference too. I think, like you know, the draft house, and even like when we do, we try to present like these movies as like a premium experience. You True. know, it's like we charge a lot more, like as cult classics does, than like you know, seeing it for five dollars here or four dollars in another theater. Theater, you know, because we're trying to make you appreciate the movie on its merits. Like, I don't like the idea that just because a movie is a few years old, it's only worth three dollars to see. Because, mm-hmm. in all honesty, most movies made in the last five years aren't even worth ninety nine cents on a on a, like a rewatch. Sure, you know, Art City here. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, it, there's a lot of films. One, that's the thing now. The cost of films has gone down so much. It has to be the value of the experience. Yeah. You know, it all, all, I think honestly that when it comes down to it, like 3D and all that stuff, you you have to look ultimately to the point is like, if you're creating a good experience around the movie, you know, and you know, n- not allowing texting, not allowing talking, that's what's going to get people to come. That, you know, if I went to a theater and they told me, there is no texting allowed at this theater and no heckling and you're going to get like a cool pre-show. That would be the place I frequent all the time versus any like gimmick. Yeah. Cause I mean, people love going and it's seen the trailers. It's like, Oh, what trailers am I going to see this time? Yeah. And so like the nice thing about, you know, the pre-shows with 
called classics or what they do like at Alamo or even I've seen some other places that have done, you know, something that's been unique. Um, you know, that's always kind of like, well, what are they going to do this time? Yeah. How are they going to, you know, what are they going to shove in there? What cartoon or whatever, you know, how, what is, I love that part of it even more so sometimes than, than the movies yeah. themselves. Well, you know, because I feel like so tired by the time like the pre-show is done because there was so much stuff and it was so cool that I'm like, you know, and then the credits start for the actual movie. And I'm like, I'm kind of ready to go home now. <laughs> and that's that's so great. I love that. Yeah. Well, that used to be the I mean, that's the old time experience. Yeah. I mean, you used to have a newsreel and some cartoons yeah, and all that. Cartoons. But I mean, it was interesting, too. I was thinking about like. You know, you kind of talk about, like, the Mondo model and stuff, like, with the prints and all the the um, promotional and stuff. I mean, I remember as a kid, I mean, I can definitely say going to movies in the 80s that, you know, there was definitely promotional items. Mm-hmm. I can say that my Oh, most, yeah, all the employees had those cool, like, little yeah. buttons. Yeah, but, I mean, I can definitely say that my most coveted or, or most intense experience to get a promotional item, I will never forget, because one of the worst movies ever, was to go get go see the wizard so i could get that special issue of nintendo power i remember remember, that because it's weird i did not think about until we started talking i was going because you were saying some of the things like some of the cool promos and stuff and i worked in a uh, couple movie theaters so i knew uh, we were able that we fought over stuff back in the day but i do not think i I don't remember what they gave away at ninja turtles the original 1990 ninja turtles it was probably one of those terrible turtle pies but it was um there was something but i mean that issue nintendo i can i i mean unless you're from my demographic and age group which present company is it's one of those things where i mean nintendo power was such a huge deal to know about videos this is all pre-internet and that's kind of like you were saying with the trailers the importance of there is no youtube premiere there is no for a trailer apple it's in the apple store now and it's like it's reached a point now where and then there's you know the only reason you people look back i think a lot like trailers from 60s and 70s and go man they give a lot away in these you know i mean huge plot points and i said yeah because people never got to see them again so you needed to make an impression and impact and now it's like to make an impression and impact i mean it's a different game now but I, I mean, I would still go to get a promo like that, and that you know couldn't cost them that much. I mean, but it was like those kind, of, that exclusivity. I do understand. It's just that there is now a uh, a culture that Victor touched on is just it's reached a point Whoa. of such like ludicrousness that I mean, it's like, oh, that Nintendo Power is probably I could probably go on eBay right now, and I bet you it's like. 50 60 bucks in the original yeah. plastic well or i'll tell you i'll tell you this is one of the things i was thinking about not too long ago like you know you used to think oh things are so much better when you were a kid i remember when like a movie like batman returns came out you had to make a goal of getting all the happy meal toys that went along with it because that's all the merchandise that you were going to get that actually looked like it was from the movie. Because mm-hmm. it wasn't like today where, like, oh, this movie's coming out. NECA's already doing, like, a whole line of toys. And there's all these, like, going to be all these pop vinyl versions and right. everything. No, it was like, you're either going to get the Happy Meal toys to go with the movie mm-hmm. and maybe a poster or some cards. And that's all the merch there's going to be. Right. 
you know so i can totally understand what the promotional you know the aspect of getting promotional items is and like yeah. the allure of it speaking of my impending bankruptcy <laughs> but i mean it's like it is it's and i tell people all the time i go because you just you waited so long for it. it's not just nostalgia i mean it's loving those films yeah i mean you and loving or whatever it was whatever property i mean it can be anything i mean a lot of it's film-based but you, you gotta love it and i think yeah tying that back in i think you know you have to have an experience i mean all the ones we touched on I mean, that's it's a huge point is that you got to have a full-on experience um and it's got to get people into it and, and we are a uh distant society now the internet and stuff everything was supposed to bring us closer together but you get in a theater and people you either have the the individuals you, you don't have much of an organic experience anymore right you know people don't talk to each other i remember talking to people in movies all the time like before the show started oh, yeah, in line or you'd see people waiting. in the lobby yeah. and you mm -hmm. want to talk mm -hmm. to them i mean that I, the only time I see that now is an independent. Well, I mean, and just to kind of tie it all together, I think that's part of the reason that a lot of these places are trying to do stuff like, you know, have the bar to go along with the film or movie you're showing. It's like, oh, well, if you don't have a bar, then how else are you going to get people to come to back? Up, yeah. You know, and I, I mean, to me, it's like when our movies let out, there's people who are sometimes talking for like oh, yeah, two, don't hang out. two yeah, three hours. We, you know, I've had we've had movies let out at like one in the morning, and like when we're done packing up and going to the car, there's people who've been standing in front of the theater talking for like two hours. Yeah. You True. know, and you know, we've had people at our shows who've like you know uh, gone out. Like there was a guy who like who told me he like him and his wife had her first date. At, our, at one of our events and like a year later they got married and like we even at pollock they had a, a guy propose to his wife and they did it by like faking a cult classics event mm -hmm. you know they even had a fake cult classics poster made and everything yeah you know so that's the cool thing about like i feel like in a sense like we've built up a good community here yeah. we're trying to do that you know and a lot of what we've been doing just in talking is just spitballing ideas to see like you know what you, what you guys as listeners and attendees of our events would like to see happen to make that connection even more tangible you right. know so yeah i mean and hope you know we've talked a lot about this week about like you know 3d and bars and all these different gimmicks and hopefully you can let us know what's some stuff you'd like to see as a listener or attendee. And, you know, speaking for me, I'm always up to, for suggestions, especially movies we show and things we can do to make it even better. No, I agree. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So, yeah, I think we've had a little productive discussion here, a little longer than our usual shows, but considering we like, you know, exhibit <laughs> films, it's a little, I think warranted and hopefully you could stomach our voices for an extra half hour <laughs> or so <laughs> and i guess we're gonna try to wrap this up do you guys have any final thoughts on the matter we no, i don't i don't think so i think i'm just gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna say one last thing about you know probably i remember like the best swag i ever got for a movie premiere um but it was actually when my mom went to see rhinestone the uh, Dolly Parton Sylvester, uh, Sylvester Stallone. Stallone vehicle. <laughs> she went with some of her girlfriends and she came back with like the full like 40 by 70 inch poster. I don't know what the dimensions were, but it was huge. And then she got a rhinestone shirt, which was the taxi fare on a yellow shirt. Um, and she basically gave them to me because she's like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do with this stuff, you know, and I'll, I'll never forget that. And I hung on to that poster. It was in my room 
pretty much all my like high school years and stuff. Oh, wow. I just hung on to it. I probably saw the movie twice <laughs> since then. You know, it's just terrible. But it's more of it's more of the experience than it was you know the actual like film itself so you know that's that's what it goes back to you yeah like the the demolition man jacket i I could up until i I made about eight or nine before it just got a little bit too small i remember when i saw demolition man at like one of the man theaters one of the employees gave me their demolition man employee button and i had that for like years i had one too for um uh 28 days later i still have it back in california in my old room it's like a button it says the end of the world is extremely <laughs> fucking nigh yeah there was there was awesome stuff same thing i can say as a video store employee that there was those were some of those and they're now some of the hardest items to find of course oh, yeah. but it really does you know it, that's a great point you made victor on the whole uh you know limited merchant stuff but i think it was also the fact that you know is the experiences were important and special and i think a lot of people get very nostalgic about the past who are who are from that generation because it, you know you had a lot less and so you did a lot more with it mm-hmm. and i think it, it's weird one of the last things i wanted to say was that it's the only other thing i can think about that has led to a revival in theaters but it does not last in because it kind of jumps around is the young adult kind of movement with like harry potter and twilight you mm-hmm. know and hunger games and stuff i mean a lot of people laugh at that but i mean i do think that it causes you, spikes yeah, spikes in yeah attendance. It, you know come and go but i do think that the central idea that community based is part of the reason and people do want like a vip red carpet kind of thing I, it's not literally that right. but it is it's the spectacle kind of stuff but i think that there is a genuine heart to that where people really want to be a part of something even if it's just for one night and i think that that is the central idea that should be behind all uh, of, of the true cinematic experience i think that's why people used to dress up and go to the movies and right. have you know they had lobby cards and and people had these souvenirs i mean they kept their tickets they you know took photos when you know that was available because it meant so much and i don't know if we'll ever get full circle back to that but it's a nice idea to think that we could. Well, someday. we see it a lot at our shows. So. Yeah, we'll see it. See it for Star Wars mm-hmm. later this year. You always get yeah, the Jedi's right. at our line. Yeah. So, but no, well for stated six, for yeah. six months. Yeah. <laughs> no, well stated, Kirby. Yeah, I, I don't even sure. know if you could add anything more to that. No. So I think I think we should probably wrap that up. And this has been the sixth episode now, cult following. As always, uh, you can find us on iTunes and SoundCloud at cult following you can check out our events at cultclassicsaz.com our next event is the road warrior on march 14th check that out tickets are available at zier records and at cultclassicsaz.com and the roadwarrior.bpt.me we especially urge you to check that out because we're going to be giving away some vip early screening tickets to mad max fury road as well as some full-size theatrical mad max fury road posters sweet yes swag you can count on (laughs) and as always i am victor marino i i think i'm adam Rutkowski. kirby nelson and stay dry okay don't eat after midnight all right and that's all folks